Welcome to the Urban Engine Podcast, propelling ideas forward. Hey guys, welcome to Urban Engine Podcast number seven. I am Matt McClellan. I'm here with Tony Eberhardt and Brandon Cruz joining yo. us today. Hey yo. So we got a fun-filled podcast for you today, and um, I'm, I'm just excited. Brandon, thank you for coming out. Um, appreciate your time. We've been trying to nail down Brandon to get him on the podcast for a minute because, one, he's just a good friend, and two, he's, uh, he's an awesome entrepreneur and someone who I feel like has a lot of information he can share with you all. And so, oh no, well, that's my fault. I wheeled down from the office, so it's kind of hard to say, like, hey, I see you're here. Yeah. <laughs> Come over. I'm like, okay. Let's well, you know, it. I kind of wondered that the other time. I'm like, I see his car. I could just go like, nab him from the office real quick. <laughs> you could. You definitely could. But no, I, I want to respect your time. I know you're super busy and in the middle of all kinds of things, so I appreciate it. All but, the uh, things. Yeah, one all thing. Things. So, um, one of the things we wanted to go through today, I think, is a really interesting topic um, for all entrepreneurs. Um, and those just starting, those that have been in the game for a long time, and that's relationships mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, managing that home life um, along with your business and everything else. And uh, that's something where I've always, always struggled. It's um, hard. Yeah, but so Brandon is in kind of an interesting scenario where when he first met his now wife, um, he was obviously, had been an entrepreneur for a while then, um, and then she became an entrepreneur during that time. Yeah. And then now you're both like full-time hard edit entrepreneurs along with being married to one another. So how do you, how do you make that work? It's really tough. I think a lot of patience, I, I think really the best marriage advice that I've ever gotten is marry the right person, uh, which is important. And then the second one is communication. So just like reiterating that communication over and over and over communicating is also a problem that I have in entrepreneurship and trying to be a leader and you know grow with people in an organization it's hard to keep that up and so you're just so head down focused on this massive amount of responsibility that you have and people relying on you and you know an unusual amount of stress compared to uh, i guess the the average daily walk that it's hard i think if the if your partner doesn't really understand that and that's why i always when we're talking to guys and girls about they're starting wanting to start a company to have a product idea or something and they are married or in a, you know a serious relationship and it's like you really need to have the spouse or your partner be on board mm-hmm. with that idea. I mean, it ha- you Absolutely. have to. Mm-hmm. I think, and then saying yes and wanting to be encouraging is different than them really being on board, right? Absolutely. So in the beginning, it was tough because with Amanda, uh, she was really uh, working, hustling as a nurse, but she kind of had four days of downtime when she worked three 12-hour shifts in the week. And it was like, hey, I want to you know, go grab dinner, go grab, you know, and there's always these fires to put out. So I think... In a way, it actually really helped me because I worked much more on on trying to get good at delegating and scaling myself and not focusing on things that were just busy kind of distractions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's interesting. You know, I, I think back and it, this comes in a lot of different dynamics too. Like you've got where you guys kind of started off in a relationship and you were you were always an entrepreneur, right? Um, it's kind of been the same with me. Like anytime I meet somebody like, well, I've been an entrepreneur for a long time now, so it's it's kind of understood, developed, like I understand my side of the road, and then I have to help them to understand if they're not already in that mix, right? Yeah. Um, Tony, you're kind of in a separate thing where you've been in a, you know, more or less kind of a nine-to-five position in the past, and then going into being more of an entrepreneur with Urban Engine, mm-hmm. and so I'm sure that that's been an interesting act, especially amongst kids, and then having a kid in the middle of that mm-hmm. too, mm-hmm. Um, kind of learning to help chat understand what that needs to look like and and communicate with one another right yeah and actually um for our relationship it was a little bit different and so i very much think about this in terms of seasons of life and 
life can be busier and more hectic in different seasons of life for one reason or another. Okay. When my husband and I started dating, um, we were in we were playing for keeps from the start, um, and he was very open and direct about his plans and his plans where I am going to go to school through my PhD, I'm going to graduate and then I'm going to put somebody on Mars. Nice. Okay. And I was like, cool, cool. I'm going to help you out with that. <laughs> um, and, and I can remember thinking back about what is this going to mean for our relationship? Because if you, if you are with someone who is that aggressive about anything in his circumstance, he was very aggressive about research and academia. Um, I knew that that was going to mean that my needs and my wants were kind of come second to that. And mm. so I just kind of adopted that role and that understanding that he was going to be in a season of life that was going to be for the foreseeable future where he was going to have responsibilities and deliverables that were going to be relentless and that what he was taking on was something that um, was really going to require him to be very focused and that we could have a relationship around that but it was going to take everything for me which included relocating to the south and you know discovering what I wanted to do professionally here I am now but um, that's what that meant and and so while entrepreneurship is very demanding I think that relationships and whatever kind of big goals you have if one person has goals um, you really just need to understand that there are going to be ebbs and flows now Chad is super supportive now that he's got his job and he's in the nine to five and I am not in a nine to five situation at all. <laughs> he is very present. Like, um, you know, he told me this week uh, before he left for his conference, he's like, it's water day at daycare this week. And I was like, what does that even mean? <laughs> Do I have to get swimsuits? Like what's gonna happen to our kids? Uh, whereas like he normally just like goes with it. He pays the tuition. He makes sure the kids have what they need. They've got their sunscreen their their swimsuits and stuff and so that's not typical of of a spouse a husband right. so that's interesting he's almost got like the daddy, daddy daycare style down on the side like yeah outside of your view even like doesn't have to make sure that you know that he's doing those things just takes care of it makes right sure it's done. that's really cool and and so to brandon's point i really think that it does boil down to communication and letting that partner know what you need when you need it he knows right now that like i'm fully capable as a human being of planning for water day if i had time to understand what that meant what is water day? <laughs> um, but he understands that he really needs to step up and do some of those things that like maybe four years ago would not have fallen within like how we divide and conquer on yeah. a day-to-day -day basis i love that because it's you know he's also got that that massive drive and ambition that you do as well and so that's an interesting match it seems like you've kind of had to trade off maybe a little bit over time mm -hmm. like let him take the the driver's seat and go hard at that and then as the years have gone on and you, your path has changed now you're back in the driver's seat and he's kind of sitting there riding shotgun helping navigate you know yeah i think that's really important like a mature relationship i mean because at either point in time either one of you guys could have said like, well, am I not as important as this thing that you're really hustling on and working on? Mm -hmm. And that's like the wrong question to ask, mm -hmm. you know, because the truth is at this exact moment in time, maybe. Well, and you know, I actually it, told someone that one time, yeah, several How'd years ago. Uh, well, that was at the end of our relationship. <laughs> okay, nice. <laughs> but no, I mean, it was literally one of those things where she said, you've got to decide what's important, this or me. And this is early years of absolute. And I said, at this stage of my life, it is this, yeah. it's my business. Cause yeah. I have to focus on it. Like I have to put, this is my priority for now to make it last in the long term. Mm -hmm. And I don't regret that decision. And we're yeah. still friends today, but like I don't regret that decision at all because 
it did need my time. It did need my, that as a my focus for it to be a priority. Yeah. And uh, the relationship was just not that then. So do you think it maybe would have ended differently had that person said, well, I'm all in on it with you? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I, I agree with you that there are, and Brandon's talked about this before, but there are seasons, right? Mm -hmm. There's seasons where you're hitting the gas pedal and you're all in it. And then there's other seasons where you can manage things a little differently. And so it is about some communication and understanding on that for sure, you know? And I think I've learned it all from failing at it, but it's one of those things where, you know, at the end of one of my longer relationships most recently, I had just started a new business. Mm -hmm. And I had to be like head down 100% in it. And I was working some crazy hours for the first three or four mm -hmm. months. But, you know, I've been there, done that before. I know that that's what it takes. Mm -hmm. And so it's nothing to, for me to do that. I did a really poor job of communicating that fact, though. Um, it did come up in conversation, but then there wasn't a much understanding on the other side. It's like, you've already got this other thing. Now you're doing this, too. Like, mm -hmm. what's next? And it's like, look, this is who I am. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to be. Now, I need to be able to compromise more with that, but I also need your understanding. Mm -hmm. You know, and I think that it, it definitely is hard to gain understanding, you know, coming from a from a still single male at 31 years of age, like it, it's it's very hard to gain that understanding from someone else on the time commitment it takes sometimes. Yes. Yeah, sure, you know, you can do a better job of managing it. And like these days, things are pretty well under control. Like right. I have a lot more evenings that I do have free. Then I have the random evenings where things have got to get done. Mm -hmm. Someone's sick, they can't get this done. There's a deadline for this. It's got to be done either way. Mm -hmm. So I have to make that commitment to dive in and do it. Now, I used to do that six and seven days a week. I don't do that anymore, mm -hmm. right? But I have the ability to not have to do that anymore. I think that comes with the growth. You know, I mean, uh, for me, I know that part of that was being proactive in my planning and my time management and less reactive, just like fighting fires. And um, uh, Amanda Howard, who spoke uh, not long ago at 3210, the speaker series had mentioned that, or like being in that whirlwind of just like the whole day goes by and you were busy the whole day, but did nothing. Um, and it, that was important even for Amanda and I going through this because I was also setting aside time to help her and, and work on things with, with divas on the tech side uh, was being able to plan that. And sometimes it sounds ridiculous, but it was like, I'm going to schedule in and you know make sure our calendars can sync up to schedule in dinner mm -hmm. or like to schedule mm -hmm. in time just to, to hang out. And we even had to get to the point of like agreeing not to talk about each other's businesses or business in general at dinner. Um, that rule is W like way gone now uh, but there was a period of time there was a season when it was it was too head down for both of us to where it was like I, I need to have that break or else I felt like uh, there was no time for us the businesses you know kind of got in the way but that's easy to manage if you see it I think most of the time those problems creep up just like a lot of other problems from lack of communication uh, you know kind of builds and harbors that resentment and then also letting that, that thing that's a small thing in the beginning creep up and turn into something much larger mm -hmm. and not dealing with it. You had said about, um, you know, simple but really hard to follow advice, marry the right person. And I think that in, you use the example of going out to dinner, right? But in any relationship that's important to you outside of what you have going on professionally, you need to schedule in and, and take care of those things that you and your partner find joy in together. Absolutely. So whether that's going for a run or, you know, you really like to it's go out right. to eat. Yeah. Not, I'm not the run. It's not us yeah. either. It's yeah. not us. I do that for myself. We walked the dogs one time. Yeah. Literally cul-de-sac and then back in the house. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Whatever it may be, right? You just have to really treat those things as being sacred and special to your relationship and it will happen with kids too um and i think that as you grow 
in whatever you're doing as an entrepreneur you're just very passionate and focused on your career it becomes more important to just say no to some things because of the emotional labor that goes into saying yes Um, if you give yourself away all day every day and then you're not ready for those sacred times and you can like invest emotionally then it's well i mixed that to call i think because a lot of times it's easy to get caught up in just hustling you know and and busy to be busy it's super easy to get caught up in that and if you don't if you're not proactive about it you could do that all day every day for the rest of your Mm -hmm. life Uh, so for me it was really like you know essentialism was a a good book that Mm -hmm. i read and the power of no is another one Mm -hmm. by James Altucher, which sounds ridiculous, and people like absolutely judged it by the book, uh, by its cover, right? Of like, well, that's you know, just saying no to people. But startups, in particular, I think this is probably more of even a personality trait. Often die of indigestion than they do of starvation, mm-hmm. right? So there's so much opportunity out there, and I think a lot of times people just take on much more than they can realistically handle. Mm-hmm. And that's not, you know, so a lot of times I see these uh, entrepreneurs that are hustling and, and neglecting a lot of those relationships because they really can't get to it. And it's just a little bit of a, uh, a balance mismatch. Mm-hmm. It's not necessarily the what's the work-life balance here. Whenever someone asks that in an interview, I'm like, there's no balance. It's yeah. all work. Right. Uh, it's, <laughs> but it's very much like a, you really need to be able to work smart and put in those very, very good, solid hours. And I always, this is just a trait that I've been doing for like the last you know year or so. At the end of every day, I, I, I kind of like reflect back just for a few minutes and think, kind of like an audit of was that really a productive day like did I put a hundred percent into that day like I hoped and thought I would at the beginning of the morning Um, and a lot of times just by doing that just like tracking you know what you eat you can look back and be like hmm you know maybe this time gap that I thought was really important really didn't you know further me that much more Mm -hmm. that's a really good way to kind of keep things in perspective and then also see like I said no to an hour dinner with my spouse but I did three hours of something that really wasn't as relevant to what I need to be doing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and, and knowing when to call it quitting time too, I think is also important in that. But you know, like you said, kind of that being proactive there, uh, I'm, I do a really terrible job of keeping everything private. And so like my schedule's my schedule, rather than going like, hey, here's what, have a, what I have going on today. Right. And where they could understand like, why I probably didn't answer the phone for two hours and send a text message back, right? Because I was in the middle of all these things or like was in the middle of a meeting and I'm really trying to be present in, in that aspect. So that's something where I've done a very poor job of that communication before to kind of be proactive. Um, I think the other interesting thing there too is what that partner as understanding is with you. You know, I was listening to Crushing It earlier today Mm -hmm. and part of it they have a Iron Man come in and discuss his, um, kind of what happened is he went from being this huge Iron Man with this blog and then, you know, was trying to turn this into like making a living from it and couldn't really figure that out and then uh, had this opportunity to have an interview with CNN and get millions of listeners kind of to have his full attention, right? And uh, so he, he randomly, like, just overnight, like 24 hours, makes an ebook for, like, $9 on his website, <laughs> you know, which they said then paid his mortgage for, like, the next two years, right, right from this e-box, e-book sale. And then he started leveraging on, like, hey, and he was an attorney at the time, making good money, but he didn't want to do that anymore. He wanted to live this you know, Ironman lifestyle, like this is who he was, this is what he enjoyed, his passion. And so he wanted to be able to make that 
monetize that to be able to afford to live off of it. And so it talks about his struggles along the way, like getting a car repossessed, like the bank almost foreclosing on his house and all these things. And along the way, his wife would be like, you know, he'd be ready to give up. And she'd be like, no, don't do it yet. Mm -hmm. Like, this is what you want to do. And so to have somebody in your corner like that, that really is on the same level of understanding and that's really committed to helping you push through that passion, I think is huge. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't think that magic, that person just magically comes along and is just there and like, yeah, I'm going to be supportive of whatever you're doing. I think that you have to develop that. And that actually can be a bad thing, right? (laughs) If someone's blindly supportive, like a lot of times with Amanda, it is like a, I don't think you should do that. Yeah. You know, it's a good counterbalance. I'm much yeah, much yeah. more down with the risk than Amanda is, you know, and she's like a little squirrel just, you know, hoarding away cash. And it's good. It really is a good balance. If we were both on either side of the spectrum, it would be bad. More so if we were both on my side of the spectrum, it would be bad. And I, but I think that, that relationship develops over time. You're absolutely right. You know, it's something that that understanding has to be developed so that person can give you very, it can be that, that rock, you know, because entrepreneurship at the end of the day, you know, that all of us are involved in is very lonely. You know, it's inherently lonely. I th- so I think it's important to have that support system in place uh, to go back and, and, you know, a lot of times for me, it's just talking it out with someone who is a good listener who, who understands and really does care about me. And I work it out just by talking it out at the end of the day. And I think a lot of people do, but not having that is just so important. So we talked about even relationships and entrepreneurship on one side of the spectrum of if someone's not supportive, uh, but that 100% goes the other way, where it can be a multiplier, you know, mm-hmm. big time if they are that right person. And, and I think Tony's a very good example of that in, in, in many couples that the partner doesn't necessarily also have to be an entrepreneur to really be able to relate and that, that ebb and flow and that those seasons of, of work and commitment mm-hmm. um, that's that's totally unrelated to business. Yeah, and, and yeah, and I will, I will agree with you there. You know, that I've had that kind of partnership before and, you know, I think that also comes down to maybe what your love language is. Like one of mine I was gonna say, is yeah. acts of service. So when someone wants to come help me out mm-hmm. uh, with anything I've got going on, whether it's something I really feel like I want to bring them in to help out, help me out with or right. not, yeah. just the fact that they are willing to do that mm-hmm. is huge for me and it goes a long way. But it never really, but the counter to that is that I also don't like to ask for help. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's a really weird thing that right. I, I, I love it when people offer to help and agree to help and help me with things, but then I also hate to ask for help, so I'm in this weird spot, like, you just gotta figure it out, you know? So that's unfortunate. I think it's great that you brought up the love languages because I lean on that like the last pillar that's standing. (laughs) Um, Because you really need to know if you are in a season or you think, for listeners out there, so if you think that you wanna become an entrepreneur and you're in a relationship with someone or you hope to be in a relationship with someone, you need to know how to keep their cup full, all right? Because if they are gonna be showing up for you every single day on your dream, trying to help you build what you wanna build, you need to make sure that you are giving back and keeping their cup full. So while it may, like to Matt's example, um, you know, acts of service is really important, important minds, um, words of affirmation. So if I'm expecting my husband to tell me day in and day out, I'm doing the right thing and he needs acts of service, right? Like I better go out of my way to show him at some point that yeah. I'm hearing him and I understand that he's showing up the way that I need him to. Yeah, um, it's easy for people to miss because most people, uh, even without reading the book, 
you know, they know kind of inherently what their love language is mm-hmm. and they do that to their spouse, right? And they expect that that's theirs right. as well. Yep. So you would give him words of affirmation, which may or may not do anything. He's like, right? I don't He's care like, what you, you think. You tell me every day you love me, I got it. You know what I mean? Like, you tell, tell me I'm doing a good job, I know I am. Right. You know, and it's like, hmm, that's a good point. And that, that's something we learned early on. I, I swear, like, I mean, just go read that now. I feel like, you know, download like the abridged version if you need to. Yeah, and, like, Cliff consume notes, those seven. Yeah. 800 million women out there have written a blog post about it like just go read one of them that's right (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah i mean it it is one of those things where um you know like you said you can get busy in the mix and just get lost in all the details and forget about giving i mean you really do have to intentionally step back and really look at what you're doing in that relationship and in your business as a whole um and, and i think you almost have to do an assessment of it just like you would anything else in your business right like step back and then do an assessment of that relationship and make sure that you're you're doing things or even just take take the time to talk to it. And I'm not speaking from experience here. I'm, sp- I'm, ex- I'm speaking from failure here mm-hmm. to do those thing, kind of things. But I think you've got to go back and readjust and examine, like, am I treating this the way I need to be treating it? You know, am I doing the things here that I need to be doing? Um, because it's really easy not to. Yeah. And to, like, relationships are just so important. If you build something and you're successful, what is it worth if you have no one to share it with? Absolutely. Depends on if you have a jet ski or not, because if you have a jet ski, <laughs> it's still pretty worth True. I don't you know have I mean? a jet ski, which is why. <laughs> I'm telling like, you. Okay. Yeah. All right. Noted. Yeah. Good to know. <laughs> oh God. Well, so one of the other things I wanted to roll into today, and, and just guys, if you're you're looking, wondering what we were just talking about, that's the, the five lang- love languages, right? Yes. yes. I thought there were seven. Did seven. I, did I just make two up? Oh, maybe I think not. I might maybe have just made two wrong. up. I don't know. It, maybe they're, they've discovered. Anyways, some new ones. Oh, okay. <laughs> love languages. Yes. Um, that's that's the book we were just. For, it's fi- it is five. I thought so. Dang, I okay. just added two. Well, clearly my two are wrong. <laughs> yeah. So, so the book is called the Five Love Love Languages, and it will help you to kind of understand both what you need most and what your partner needs most. Mm-hmm. And I know um, this will sound absolutely ridiculous, but I really think that book's very very relevant to people not in relationships and people with relationships at work. Uh, strictly friend relationships, boss, coworker, whatever, uh, because people really do see um, kind of appreciation in different ways. Um, totally. It's massively valuable. You know, I learned that really early on, and that I, you know, can grow someone's monetary base at a company and think that that I'll get a directly linear result: increase pay ten percent, get ten percent more work. And that's just not how it works at all. Um, and really, in particularly with trying to build a team and an organization. It is extremely difficult uh, to do that without really understanding what people really most value. And I think people are actually decently good at telling people are bad at telling them, you know, telling you what features they want in products. They're bad at telling you where they think, you know, your business should go on the roadmap, um, even though they want to give you advice. But they're really good at telling you what matters most to them in terms of how they're most directly impacted. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've had several employees over time, like once I realized that the words of affirmation was their thing. Uh, you know, just simply making sure to tell them like, hey, you did, you did a great job or like, hey, you're doing, you know, I'm getting constantly good feedback from you. I just really appreciate you. That goes a long way. For me, it does not. You me right? yeah. So it, it doesn't matter to me. So like, it's hard for me to understand that I need to say that to someone else. Um, so yeah, great point, Brandon. It does affect more than just your your romantic relationships. Like it goes into your business relationships as well. Absolutely. And that can even be, you know, business cohorts that you work along with. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the other things we wanted to talk about, guys, I was watching this video on Facebook a couple days ago of the very first cotton row race in Huntsville, Alabama. And it was kind of cool to see, you know, one, what people wore in most races then, but this two, to see like old school runners because they just have a different tenacity about them. You know, I'm a, I'm a runner in my past too. I, I have, 
was a cross country and track runner for six years, um, even in a scholarship for a little while in college. And so I was really passionate about running. Ran since I was a little kid. Dang yeah. Yeah, I used to be fast. I did Facts not get about a scholarship Matt. right for running. So we, uh, you know, me. I've got I've got that background. So seeing like old runners like Prefontaine and, and Jesse Owens, like they're it, they're impressive to watch any old Brandon clips Cruz. of. Brandon right. Cruz, yeah. yeah, speed demon. Yeah. Back in the day. <laughs> Back in in his day. <laughs> So in I'm, previous I'm watching these guys run, and the the video is showing the two leaders in the race, and uh, you know then the commentators are kind of going like, oh, he's coming past him here. They're coming into the, the final stretch, and and you see the one guy pass, you know, get about six ten feet of a lead on the other gentleman, and he just keeps looking back like mm -hmm. every 10, 15 seconds, just turning his shoulder, looking back, and trying to figure out where that guy is, oh and if he's still right behind him, if he's coming up on him, and for one, as a former runner, I hate that, mm -hmm, like. Mm -hmm. I can't stress enough how much I hate that. And part of the reason I hate that is because our coaches drilled into our heads, don't do that. You know, focus on the race ahead. Don't look at your competition. Anytime you're turning over, especially in a shorter distance race like a sprint, right. a lot of sprinters were known for this. They'd get in that 200 or 400 meter race, and it's, man, we're talking 400 meters. Yeah. We're talking 45, 50 seconds. Like, this right. is not a lot of time. And they'd get in that lead, and, you know, coming down that final 100 meter stretch, they're turning over their head, looking behind them to see where everybody's at. That is not helping you. That right. is slowing you down. You cannot run as effectively. Now, it may only cut off a, a couple hundredths of a second, but races Slow are won and lost yeah. by exactly that That's much. That's right. And so I've just, I hate that mentality of looking behind you, and it was just bugging me. And I got to thinking, you know, the same thing happens in business. A lot of people get into business, and they start looking over their shoulder at the competition. Mm -hmm. They start seeing where they're at, what they're doing. Well, how are they doing this in, in you know, relation to me? And they start focusing and worrying about that. It's fine to know where everybody is, right. but not to focus and worry about it so much. And I feel like that's a huge downfall for a lot of businesses. Mm -hmm. What's interesting is that, you know, so I have a kind of a unique perspective on this outside usual where, you know, my wife started this closing boutique, Discount Divas, and they were growing and scaling. So I, I spent like two years kind of inside this living, breathing, you know, organism as it grows. Uh, and, you know, they grew to a huge level, doing a million bucks a month in sales. And I start working with a lot of other boutiques and, and similar, you know, e-commerce retailers selling online on Facebook and Instagram with Comet Sold. And I get to know them and it's like there is uh, you get to know what's much more common in the space. And I, and I built a lot of respect for the divas and Amanda because I talked to a lot of these people and we built, you know, there's 3,500 or so businesses on the Comet Sold platform now. We have a direct relationship with a lot of those people. Um, and it's just amazing how much competition comes up and, uh, and Divas is just the opposite, but yet Divas is also the highest revenue, you know, group of all those 3,500 people. And so it's interesting to me, I think, because I, uh, Amanda really never did that. And I don't know if it was intentional or not, but she just was not looking at what competitors were doing. She's like, I'm so busy fighting fires and growing that that's like the last thing she would do. Um, and, but then I have, you know, friends that, that spend half of their day just watching what competitors are doing. And, and, you know, they almost talk to Amanda like, oh, you didn't, you didn't see what this, you know, person posted about how she's doing this. And I'm just, no, like, I didn't see any of that. I'm just head down in my lane, you know, trying to grow. And I think that's really important because you're absolutely right that there's a physical, I think, manifestation clearly when you're running and looking back that you are slower. And the, the gain that you're going to get from seeing someone right behind you or not is, purely psychological not physical right mm -hmm. right so either way i think that's what the running coach is saying like just put in a hundred percent regardless and you'll be fine you know i had a similar thing in baseball where it was like 
you're stealing the base, you're not watching the ball come in, you're just going and sliding no matter what, mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. And there's really, I think, a lesson of that that very much transfers over to business. When you're watching someone, it's very hard to focus on yourself. And the truth is, it's also really easy to to get, uh, entrepreneurship's already lonely, and then you know, Facebook and Instagram's just the highlight reels of all of our lives, right? Like, I, I could have just the worst month ever, but then I, you know, rent a nice car from Enterprise and I post that picture on Facebook and people are like, dang, Brandon's Amazing. just doing it. Yeah. I just saw him in another car in his last rent a car last week. Uh, and it's just crazy. So I think about the same thing with competition where, you know, you're watching someone and I, I think it's important to have an idea of, of uh, what a conglomerate of your competitors are doing, like industry trends. That's right. that's valuable. Yeah, benchmarking. But, you know, 1% of the time that people are probably spending on just purely analyzing competition that puts them in a really, really tough spot and makes them question a lot of their own authenticity. Well, and is there a difference between analyzing and just like watching? Obsessing. Yes, yes. And so one of my favorite yeah. quotes is actually from Bob Parsons, of uh, the CEO of GoDaddy. And he says, pay attention to your competitors, but pay more attention to what you're doing. When you look at your competitors, remember that everything looks perfect at a distance. Even the planet Earth, if you get far enough into space, looks like a peaceful place. Mm -hmm. And it, it's mm -hmm. one of those things where you want to know what's going on. Like you want to be aware of it, mm -hmm. but you, sh you don't want to focus it. You don't want to compare. You know, I, I think that That's a slippery slope. competition mm -hmm. is a double-edged sword. Like you do want to know what they're doing because you can learn some things. Mm -hmm. So please like take, examine, learn, but don't obsess. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that's the most important thing to understand because it, it can really consume you and, and take you away from executing your own things and, and driving your, your car forward. Like you said, staying right. in your lane, you know? Well, we had this crazy insight in comment sold to where, you know, I, I you know, can't mention anybody's sales in particular, but we know everybody's sales on the platform. It's kind of like your accountant, like you can't really lie to your accountant. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I made this much money. And they're like, but, but it says this though, <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> or, or a lot of time probably no, the opposite. You didn't. I didn't make much money. <laughs> I was like, but you owe some taxes, right? Uh, and on the platform, we see that. I mean, I've had, you know, uh, customers that would obsess over someone that was a tenth of their size, right? And it's, it's not my place to say that to, to either group, but it's like, I don't know if you do want to be copying that person, right? You're like, you're mm -hmm. at this massive level, literally 10x their size, but you're like, they're doing this. I wonder if I should as well. You know, it's really easy to kind of like harbor and breed that insecurity. Mm -hmm. I think when you're really comparing yourself instead of just like, being what I think is the most undervalued asset in a business, which is that authenticity of you. Mm -hmm. In our case, most of the retailers have these customers, not because they have some product that no one can get from anywhere else, because they are in love with that individual and they are purchasing from that face. And I think that we'll see that even become more and more common as a trend of less brand and more people, you know, less being sold a product and more building a community and also selling products. Uh, that I think is is very much undervalued in, in kind of today's society. Yeah. And with that said, then the competition is, you know, even more irrelevant. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, I mean, it, it is kind of an interesting thing. I mean, I think there was there was even in the early years of kind of Urban Engine, uh, some of that looking over the shoulder, you know, of like looking at other groups in other cities and and other potential groups and trying and trying to see like what were they doing like how could we do this how could we be better but you know competition like i said it is that two-edged sword because competition also does make you better because yeah. then when you do see that person encroaching on your turf you know i i do think and so this is where i disagree with what i was saying and it's almost kind of a conundrum there that you know if that person is looking over his shoulder in the race what are they planning to do like if they speed up and start coming past him are you going to run faster 
well, then why don't you just run faster? Exactly. Right? But at the same time, uh, I want to take the flip side of that, that if someone's doing something and, and catching up to you in a business and you see it and you think, oh, that's interesting, a lot of times they're doing something that you're probably not, mm -hmm, right? Mm -hmm. And so at that point, why would you not adapt and become better? Yeah. And For me, so, that always means auditing myself. Yes. If I see a competitor that's out there and doing something a lot better than we are, um, it's, I mean, the, I think knee jerk thing is we need to copy what the person is doing, no. but very much there's a process problem, right? right? Like how do they get to that realization? And, uh, for example, if there's a competitor in our space that launches a feature that really ends up growing like crazy and we didn't, then we missed the mark. We're our feedback loop with our customers too big. We're not in that. You know, and I think it's easy for businesses to do as you start, you might start with a core group or audience. And then as you grow, you kind of forget that group or audience. And I still, you know, and, and I absolutely make lots of mistakes every day. But one thing I really try to do is continually have communications with those people. So I understand the pain points, right? The software in our product was kind of built out of this. And I think a lot of people have this, you know, thing like, oh, surely there's a better way. It was built out of this real need. So it had a decent product market fit, right? Because we weren't just theorizing about what would be good software to build. We actually built something to fix a problem. But it's easy to get away from that. It's very easy to get away from that. And your competitors are the people just waiting to soak that up mm -hmm. for when you miss that mark. Mm -hmm. So for me, I look at it very much as like a, they did something smart. There's a problem with my process that we need to fix. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, you know, they always say that competition makes business better for the consumer, and it, and it absolutely does, you know. And, and though we've always cared about our customers like an absolute nutrition, I will say that having other people in the market made us care a lot more. It mm -hmm. made us take our care and our customer service up a notch, right on. you know? And so I think that's, that is a good driving force there. So as long as you're aware that they're there and like, you're not guarding your territory, you're not copying them, you're just trying to be better than you were before. And so continuing to grow and innovate is about sometimes that. And that competition, like it's really easy to, to get settled and just like rest back on your laurels and, and be like, okay, yeah, we're comfortable with where we're at, we're doing things the right way, right? But if you're not continuing to push that envelope, uh, competition will help you push that envelope. Mm -hmm. That's something that's weird and, and something that is, I've always had, which is very strange as I kind of meet other entrepreneurs, I'm not sure where this came from, but whenever things are going really well is when I'm most worried, right? Because when, when, I, when, we're like, you're, when you're just in the grind, hustling and pushing forward, and the competition doesn't even care who you are, uh, then it's a little bit easier, right? You have a lot more flexibility that not a lot of people are watching you to see if you fail. It's easier to make mistakes and iterate quickly. But you know, and now as we grow, we just you know got uh, a letter about how one of our competitors is trying to sue us now because, it, and I look at it like a huge milestone. I'm like, I was so happy, you know, and like we all kind of did like a victory dance because it's like we matter now, you know yeah, what I mean? Like yeah. we're on someone's radar. We we care. We're really like laying the smack down on somebody, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which we are. But it really made me think about how when things are good, I take that as an opportunity to say like, how can we use this time now to really, like put the gap between us and the person behind you, just yeah. like in that race. Mm -hmm. If you are 10 feet ahead, the best thing you can do is get another 10 feet ahead. Absolutely. You know, and like, it's so easy for people, I think when you are 10 feet ahead to let off the gas pedal. And I think just instinctively, a lot of entrepreneurs are like this. When you are going well and you are 10 feet ahead of the competition, you press the gas pedal as hard as you can. Mm -hmm. Like you use that advantage to further your advantage. Uh, and I think that that's, that's something that's easily missed when things are going well. Typically, because I think a, a lot of people look at it similar to a job. You get a raise, now you're maybe a manager, let's say, and you aren't doing as much of the grunt work anymore. The value is you're getting more money for less effort put in, and it's easy to have that same kind of mindset in a business where I, I'm doing things right, so I'm working less. And for me, it's like 
kind of the opposite. When things are really going right, I'm usually working more because mm -hmm. there's more to be done and there's really ground to be had. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And it's almost kind of a false reality if you think that things are going well and you're working less. That's but yeah, true. I have that same worry as you do. Like anytime things are moving smoothly, I'm like, what am I missing here? Like, what am I doing wrong? Yeah. And, and that's where I start figuring out how to get back to that grindstone a little bit harder and, and move the next envelope or initiative forward for mm -hmm. sure. Yeah. I'm just like not a competitive person. <laughs> I, like I'm just, I'm soaking in so much of what you guys are saying, but um, really what resonates with me the most is looking at opportunities and taking them when they can. So when that person in front of you looks behind, they send you a letter and says, you know, worried about you coming up behind me, leverage the shit out of that, yeah. right? Like press the gas pedal, yeah. close the gap a little bit. Um, and they're sending a letter from 10 feet behind. <laughs> they're like, hey, oh. hope this makes it to you before oh. you finish. The, the, you know, across well, the wherever line. they're sending it from, right? But it's I love like that when you say you have that with a competition, uh, Tony just doesn't even say that because she's like, we don't even have competition. I mean, well, let, let's be real. I mean, right. Urban Engine is, they're top I mean, notch. we are legit. But I think at the same, uh, I think at the same time, it's like identifying your reasons and your own goals and holding yourself accountable to meeting those things and not letting noise disrupt you from staying focused. Yeah, I think things. that's really what it comes that's down solid. to. I really like that. Yeah, and you know, it, it's it is important because I, I've been knocked off that block before. Mm -hmm. You know, when I when I first started in the area in the nutrition business in 2009, no other game was in town. Shortly thereafter, a a franchise came in, but in Huntsville, I was in Decatur, not even close to really the same market. Uh, 18 months after I opened, someone did open in another neighboring town, but it was still again another mm -hmm. city. But then they came head after me, um, like grueling for my customers like specifically like finding who was commenting and, and tagging us and things like that and then going directly after them which is a really weird mentality but you know I never really understood that I was like okay this is strange like there's a whole market over there why go after my customers right you know and uh, they continued that trend for years um, opened businesses directly near my stores intentionally to mm -hmm. go after my market that I had created um, and it did cause a lot of you know frustration and anger for a long time and there was this you know, like almost elbowing to like stay in the lead, right? And we're like, these are these are my customers. And then eventually, I just realized, like, what am I doing? Like, why 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 am I fighting with them to do this? Like, we should just be better. Mm -hmm. And like, that's what we've always been better. Like, mm -hmm. why why don't I just focus on that? And so I just continued to like put the gas pedal back down and do what we had always done better, mm -hmm. and just ignore them. Like, blocked everything that they ever had, so I didn't see it anymore. Didn't talk to people who wanted to bring up drama about it, and just went back down to mine and they slowly disappeared over time. And well, then we kept bring, doing new initiatives and they would okay. copy and mimic directly and, and we just walk away and then eventually they went out of business. And that's gonna happen, right? If you're doing anything innovative and you start to have success with it, like know, listeners, that you will have people imitate you. 100%. My mom if used to always say, imitation is the highest form of flattery, yeah. right? So but if you're authentic and you are very diligent in identifying and outlining your goals and you stay true to them, then it really doesn't matter at the end of the day because so somebody else is selling clothes or somebody else is selling nutrition products, right? They're not maybe as authentic about what is important to Matt, which in earlier podcasts we, I heard at least, it's taking care of your customers, right? Yeah. So are they in this because they just wanna sell a bunch of stuff because they see an opportunity because you've created that opportunity? Maybe, but they're never gonna be Matt that cares about their customer. And that's truly what has set you apart. So yeah, yeah, you just have to know what right. that is that differentiates your business or yourself. 
Yeah, and, and you know, Brandon already touched on that, but being authentic in the business because mm-hmm. it, it really doesn't matter at the end of the day, like what you are selling. Like yeah. now obviously what, what you're selling and how you're selling it is part to do with your core values and your integrity as a mm-hmm. business and who you are. But that's where it all stems back from. Yeah. Right. Well we mentioned it I mean I mentioned it a lot in in kind of follow up chats that I mean the biggest thing that, that we see is like the boutique competing against the other boutique and like women's clothing, they're not competing against each other. You know, we see uh, across the platform, we have millions of people that have used Comet Sold as a consumer, and we don't have like hardly anyone that, that is shared between multiple customers. And what that really has taught me that the market is, is massive, massive and huge, right. but I also way undervalued the allegiance that people have That's to right. other people, right. not necessarily even brands, the allegiance that people have to Matt. I mean, even the allegiance people have to Tony, you know, and, and like Urban Engine, what comes from that? Uh, is is massively undervalued, I think, when people really look at it. And and I think that as a uh, industry on the clothing side, you're not competing with your next door neighbor. You're competing with Amazon, mm-hmm. right? And you're competing with Wish and what's happening in that market. Mm-hmm. And it's like the rising tide needs to lift all boats. Mm-hmm. You know, this group that we work with, the Boutique Hub, you know, literally has all these boutiques that that share best practices and advice, and and their kind of ideas that community over competition because mm-hmm. ultimately we're really not in competition with each other even though we sell the same products we're very much in competition with a much bigger market of someone trying to cannibalize the whole thing mm-hmm. right yeah which i think is really important to keep in mind yeah and you know over the years as i've matured and grown in business that's what i've come to understand right like so a trainer made mention of something this week like wanting to bring all the crossfit boxes local to the really fun competition he said i want to put the unity in community nice. and i love that you know that's good because it really is part of what does drive that force the rising tide does bring up all, all boats you know and uh yeah i think i was mentioning earlier that it's, it's interesting coming from a 2009 environment to 2018 and the difference in entrepreneurship. Mm. You know, back then, it, you, I didn't really know as many people in this world. Like, n- now on a daily basis, like, my best friends are all entrepreneurs, which is kind of cool. That is. But, uh, you know, I, back then, I didn't know anybody. And so meeting these different nutrition stores over time and learning how they're doing, what they're doing, and they're all over this, you know, the U.S. Like, these are, these are people everywhere, literally even out to Hawaii and stuff like that. And so... You know, we've kind of tossed around ideas as friends back then, brands, whatever the case may be, and learning from one another. Fast forward to 2018, and like for Apparel Lab, I have a group on Facebook of 6,000 other printers all over the world. And we toss around exactly what you were talking about in that hub best practices, like how to solve certain issues because people run into them. And that could be newbies or experienced alike. You know, they've got people that have been doing this for 20 years in there, and we've got people who've been doing it for 20 minutes, literally. Yeah. You and know, from a 30,000 foot view, you, that may be 6,000 competitors if you want to look at it that and, way. And some, people, and some people feel that way in the groups. You see them, they're like, well, I don't know if I want to share that. And it's like, why? You know, yeah. and, and, and so fortunately for me, as I've matured, my mindset of that changes. So like as, before I even got into this, I had a lot of other printers let me into their own space to learn yeah, you how they that. operate, you know. And so that was fantastic. And so I want to give back all the same things that not only experienced firsthand, but also in this group, when I had issues, when I had questions, these yeah. people helped me. And now this group is over twice the size of when I first got in it. Wow. And I want to give back to these other people too, because they need it. And like, yeah. that's what helped make me where I am. So I want to make sure that, you know, we're assisting each other and you can always learn something new. You can always help someone else learn something new. I think and that people really underestimate how big the world is. I yeah. mean, it's really, uh, I think, unfathomable for a lot of people. You know, we live, even people in big cities really live in a bubble comparatively to the rest of the mm-hmm. United States and, and, you know, definitely the world. Uh, and, and we see that. We're like, you know, in the case of Divas, it's like, wow, you know, $2.5 million in sales came from Madison County, 
last year. And there are other boutiques on the platform in Madison County that don't have any of those same customers. And it's like, my, I mean, it's just amazing. Yeah. You know, it's just fascinating to see like how wide that is. And I think it's sometimes really hard to put in perspective for people when, you know, the average person has, you know, 20 real friends and 200 plus people that they're friends with quote unquote on Facebook uh, to think about billions of people in a market mm-hmm. is just mm-hmm. wild. It, it is. And, you know, I always think back to when I worked at Best Buy and sold laptops. My dad was just like blown away that I was sold 12 laptops today. Yeah. He's like, I can't believe that. Do you, you know, did you even have any business yesterday? I'm like, and yeah, I sold 12 yesterday, too. <laughs> and yeah. I'll sell 12 tomorrow also. And he's yeah. like, that just blows my mind. That many people need computers. And I'm like, do you think about how many people live not only here, but in the surrounding areas yeah. that come through that need computers every three to four years or maybe more often if they did right. something stupid? Like, that's a lot of computers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So really, this is not even touching the mark of how many yeah. people are buying on a we daily basis. We could sell so many more computers. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and at the time, like we had CompUSA, Circuit City, Best Buy, NHH, Greg, all like hammering laptops. Right. So we were only one of four major competitors in the area, along with Dell and the Gateway, which were big back then. Yeah. And yeah, we're still selling the 12 a day. And that was just me. Like yeah. there were other people in my department. Yeah. That's and, wild. And so it was just one of those things where, yeah, you really undersize the market all the time. And like, that's, that's a really good point, Brandon, because... You know, when you are taking a look and looking over your shoulder, you're looking at this small percentage that doesn't even matter, right? Mm-hmm. Very like, true. Why not look at this 80% of untapped market potential? Yeah. Because Divas has certainly done that, right? Yes. They've yeah. taken hold of this massive piece of a very even larger market, and it's still yeah. not even taking a, like <laughs> a substantial chunk. The when biggest. Oh, go ahead, Tony. I was going to say one of the um, greatest parts of the story of Amanda's story with Divas that you have told a couple times is when she told you that she was going to start Divas and you know the whole thing about like she said she was going to sell clothes to women online and you were like great idea you know how can that possibly right yeah yeah yeah, I love that right but it's because you know walking into entrepreneurship there's sort of this like blissful of course I can sell clothes online. Yeah. It's a thing. People do it. I'll yeah. make some money, right? It's like, what's your value proposition? Uh, I'm going to sell it for more than I bought it for, right. and yeah. it's going to be cute. Mm, okay. Yeah. That's the business plan, right? But the thing it's is, like, like there's so much potential. They're, like, you know, channeling this uh, abundance mindset. I think there's a huge op- – I mean, there's the failure rate for people who have a scarcity complex – um, is exponential to those that just think mm, that they can and try good. and persevere for thinking about there's people who buy clothes all the time 12 yeah. people bought laptops yesterday from yeah. that <laughs> yeah. you know it could have been 50 um, just believing that there's opportunity out there and thinking that you can create it um, is I think that's the interesting thing with with divas the most shocking statistic for people is like, oh, she has 180,000 members in her group. That's like almost the population of Huntsville. I'm like, yeah, but here's something you should think about. That only 330 of those people make up roughly 400,000 a month in revenue. Mm. So, you know, almost half of the revenue comes from just 340 people, right? It's just amazing to think about that, especially if you look at those numbers, how wide the market is and how big. People just massively underestimate just because they look at, even in their own business, I mean, even in Common Soul, just total sales, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, it's mm-hmm. good that we're growing. But really, you see it, and it's like there's a tiny fraction of people that are really power users. And I think that that 80-20 kind of rule applies to so many things in business. And Matt probably sees the same thing on the retail side, yeah, too. Yeah, absolutely. And so while, while it is one of those things where you never do want to lose a customer to your competition, you know, I still think fondly back to where 
uh, one of the owners of one of these companies years ago told me, you know, sometimes I just realize that people are not my customer. Mm. You know, maybe they're that person's customer. Mm -hmm. And when you think about that, it's kind of intriguing because mm. you're like, what do you, what, what do you mean they're not my customer? But they're better served by that person or they like them better. Something about it, they gravitate towards more. Now, I've seen that be so cyclical, too, and, and several of those go because they thought that was a better fit and then come back because they liked us better. Mm, the grass is green no, customer, yes. There's no better compliment than that, right? <laughs> I like that. But, so, I mean, it is one of those things where you, you've got to be okay with losing them every now and then because maybe you didn't do the right thing and so you need to get better, or maybe they're just not your customer, and, and that's okay, you know? I, I've had to be to learn that over the years that, that, it's, that it's okay to have that competition in the market and it's okay for not everybody to be your customer, you know? Absolutely. So, question that I have to ask to both of you, when do you start looking at the competition? Um, is there ever a time that you really need to start looking? I don't. And how do you look? I would say that I never intentionally like go find them and look, ever. I, I definitely look when I feel like they're doing better than we are at mm -hmm. some area. Like there was competition now that I don't look at anymore. Mm -hmm. And now I look at Shopify and big commerce, people who I think are doing some really interesting things are on the cutting edge of stuff and, and really uh, spending a lot more money on market research. At the same time, it's, it's something we talked about before. If you're just the follower and you're not that one that's being the innovator and they're just copying everything that Matt does, at the end of the day, Matt is the one doing that innovation. Mm -hmm. you know, so that innovation will always win out, yeah. which, which we're always confident in that we'll be able to be more innovative than the people in our space. Mm -hmm. And that has definitely proved true over the last year and a half or mm -hmm. so. Um, and I, I think it's a really important time to look at that um, in the very beginning, maybe when it helps with the business model side of like what's actually worked for them financially is mm -hmm. important. Mm -hmm. And then maybe towards uh, the end where you're actually, you know, um, a competitor instead of just someone that you're looking up to. Yeah. And so let me recant there. I think it is at different times. And so that's where while Brandon is still, you know, in the early years of Comet Sold here, you know, he's he's looking at these other larger commerce competitors of different kinds mm -hmm. and trying to learn mm -hmm. and, and innovate a, on top of that. Mm -hmm. That's different than having been in the grind for a long time and mm -hmm. like looking at my competitors maybe on a local front. Mm. Um, so yep. then what I would say that we do is look at any other initiative maybe that we feel in, it's typically in other markets to be honest with you, so it's not my competitors. Mm. Yeah. I'm looking at other industries mm -hmm. and seeing what they're doing mm -hmm. that is doing well for those customers in that industry and how I could do something similar or innovate on that in, in my business and I, I plan Thanks, that I, I mean I only spend uh, right now I plan three hours a month worth of that research mm -hmm. uh, and I think it's important to plan or it's or it's easy to get consumed with the the uh, competition not really the mindset but the uh, the jealousy mindset of just seeing someone in, in their highlight reel and assuming they're doing it a lot better than you are mm -hmm. yeah so I, I do look at other people's marketing stuff I do sign up for intentionally other people's like text offers or email offers for specific much larger businesses in different industries mm -hmm. just I so that. I can see what they're doing what they're offering their customers how they're treating their customers the kind of uh, diversity they're adding to their marketplace too mm -hmm. um, you know maybe there are a clothing boutique but then they also decide to sell makeup right so one of those things where you can see what made them stem off from that like what's their mindset could we do something similar in our our market that's more of where I examine I guess, quote unquote, competitors, mm -hmm. rather. Mm -hmm. And so then with that, if you start to look at what they're doing, it, if you're already prone to start to get a little bit jealous and adapt the scarcity complex of, oh, no, they're going to beat us or they're doing this better than we are. We need to change. Um, how do you 
kind of keep yourself in line and I don't mean you Matt and you Brandon but for our listeners how would you advise them to put together systems for evaluating competition that can actually be healthy for the growth of their business I mean I do it this is this is a Brandon one and and what I do is that uh, we I think this is just important skill set to know in general when I you know try to consume as much material as I can to help me get better so whether that be podcasts audiobooks and I think it's important to note that you don't have to be you know, very one-sided with a particular podcast. I can listen to a podcast and, and I'm like, oh, nine out of 10 things that they said I thought were garbage and I don't agree with, but this one I feel like was a nugget. Mm. I think that's important to be able to know who you are and that going back to that same kind of authenticity of what makes you you now and doing you. And then going forward and when you're looking at competition, you can scope through what you think is a whole bunch of crap and pull out a lot of those golden nuggets. And I think that's that's valuable for me to not, uh, get on the jealousy hype train mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. most of the time I'm like this all I, all these things are doing these people are doing are horrible mm-hmm, you know like I mm-hmm. think this is a horrible idea so I'm not getting jealous of like everything they're doing is perfect mm-hmm. and I try to find that weakness in everyone I'm like what's Shopify doing that we're doing better and I start with that mm-hmm. and then lead into what Shopify doing better than we are that mm-hmm, we can do better mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's important and once you have that you know the negative side of the pro and con mm-hmm. you have that con of your competitor then it's it's really easy to not fall into the the very slippery slope and easy trip up of I want to be like them I you know and, and get into that that kind of lonely space mm-hmm. of jealousy sure identifying why that matters that they're doing that better too to your point earlier about you could look at in the boutique example uh, a boutique that is not doing well their sales are really not great mm-hmm. but, but from the outside. May- maybe they've got some really cool marketing practices or tactics that they leverage it's just not converting anybody absolutely right so you could see something and think that to you it stands out as something different that you could try but if it doesn't actually help you grow your sales or help you achieve a goal right. does it matter do you need to be wasting time on it and that yeah. was a good example of one like should I start doing model photos instead of flat lays you know putting on the floor mm-hmm. and taking a picture because I see other people doing it. And I'm like why those other people like you know a tenth of the size it doesn't make a lot of sense and it's just easy to fall into that trap of like well everyone else is doing it should I am I missing it mm-hmm. right? and that's about having that confidence I think in the the confidence based on the numbers that I'm really going about this the right way I'm mm-hmm. doing the right thing mm-hmm. and I think that's that's really easy to get tripped up in yeah gosh and I'm like thinking about catalogs and why people <laughs> are wearing clothes sorry so I would say going down the rabbit hole <laughs> yeah, from, from my side of things you know you mentioned if you're prone to being jealous and things like that I think you really have to take a strong look at what you're surrounding yourself with and start blocking things out. Mm. Whether it's people that are bringing about those things mm-hmm. that are causing That's you to be jealous mm-hmm. or the information. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I've definitely done my share of unfollowing in those kinds of instances where I've had things that were clouding my judgment mm-hmm. or my thought process. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will keep it out of my, my, my realm completely, mm-hmm. whatever I need to do to block that out. Mm-hmm. Um, I think also that seeking consistent feedback from your customers that you do have is important too and you have to be you have to decide ahead of time that you're going to be okay with critique and okay with answers that you won't like mm-hmm. because you're going to find them it goes back to that signal to noise you know if, if we and we do this i mean adivas does this a lot comments does this a lot we send out these surveys to customers and we weight them based on how successful the customer is which i know sounds ridiculous but it's like um they a lot of customers have different pain points uh, and, and this isn't specific to software or boutiques. It's all across business. So when you get that feedback back, it's like your product sucks. And I'm like, okay, this person signed up. They sold three things in a year. 
maybe that's not as relevant to 10 people saying that this part was really confusing and this is why I stopped using the software. Absolutely. You know, and being able to have actionable intel that you can really go make a decision on it and fix. Yeah, and that's a really good point, Brandon, because, you know, I, I also found that, like, anytime I do have issues, I, I'll sometimes I'll audit my complaints, you know, that I'm giving to other, other brands. Like, hey, man, this, this is an issue, blah, blah, blah. And I'll, I'll realize that it, it's an issue because there's something, like, legitimate or legitimately wrong here, not just something that maybe I don't like. Now, I'll also express those concerns, but I know at the end of the day, they've got to weight those concerns just the same way yep. and decide, like, how valuable is Matt's opinion here, right? Because they've got a, a business prerogative to me, and do I fall into the 95% of other people's opinions, or do I fall into the smaller percentage that doesn't really matter, like it's not their focus, right? Right. Um, so, yeah, that, that is a great point, is kind of weighting where that's coming from, because it is really like you know business is personal i've talked about this before you know business is personal to me and so it's hard not to take that one complaint that's like seems really serious to heart when it may just be that one random instance mm. and so you do kind of have to wait where that's coming from or if it is a, a multitude of the same thing mm -hmm. i've fired you know. customers before i also have yeah. you know it's kind of crazy it's like we've literally had some well one of the things we do and this is the i think the cool part of the competition is that if anyone's weighing us versus the competition we'll pay for their first month at the competition because we want them to try it because they will have a superior experience with us. And that's a, I mean, you better be right. And that hasn't always worked out. But when it does, that customer's like, man, you guys are so confident and your system's, your system's great, you know, because you were allowed me to go try this competitor to see. But I think that uh, at the same token, you really have to be able to have that uh, signal to noise when listening to those people, you know. And for a lot of people that were, and, and, I, and this is something that I struggle with now, someone that's really mean to support or onboarding or, you know, sales kind of team. Uh, I, I take that personally, you know, when it's not even about the product, it's just mean, you know, because support messed up on something. It's like, everybody makes these mistakes. And we've literally said like, you can't use the software anymore. And people are like, what do you mean? Like, I'm, I'm paying for it. And I'm like, not anymore. You know what I mean? Like, I'm sorry, <laughs> you can't. And it, it's, I think it's, an, it's important to know that, that side of it, right, to where, when you're reading those that feedback and survey to be able to use that constructive criticism is a really fine line between you know doing that and then having actual items on people that are just being abusive i think that just goes i mean and tony said this in the very beginning that signal to noise you know when you just have a lot of the noise out there that's the entrepreneur's number one job i feel like is to sift through all the noise to find that signal and that's why a lot of the feedback i very much consume and then intentionally dismiss you know because i'm like i don't think that you know quite what it, you want, right? Or, or that this was necessarily a problem uh, with the software, something that we should put resources in at the time. Mm -hmm. And what's nice is that I, I just learned this from, or heard this in Lean Startup uh, that I kind of reread from Eric Reese or Rice, or it said both ways. And uh, he said that don't even worry about writing down product requests or feature requests from your customers because if they're valid enough, they'll continue to request them over and over and over. Mm -hmm. So we had this Great massive point. backlog of like, you know, hundreds of items of like, we're going to get to that one day, mm -hmm. you know, for one-off cases. And then mm -hmm. like, there's just, I mean, it's not even close. There's a resounding top five things that lots of people ask for all the time. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's what I like about the signal to noise. And that particular example of signal versus noise is that it really is easy if you're listening to pick up on the signal, mm -hmm. you know, and then the noise is obvious what is just, you know, complete garbage. Mm -hmm. Man, that, that's fantastic. And that does circle back to exactly what you were saying about being authentic you know i think about two books in particular one is unlabel 
by uh, Mark Echo. Uh, and he talks about being, and it's, the whole thing is his uh, authenticity formula for how Mark Echo became a brand and, and his journey through that. Fantastic read if you've never read it before. Highly re recommend you either buy it or download the audio book. Um, it's actually a fun one to listen to because he's kind of an interesting character. Right on. Um, the other one is the Onward by Howard Schultz, CEO of Starbucks, um, you know, and founder of Starbucks. I mean, that was just really interesting listening to their entire journey, all the, the requests along the way too, and the things that they changed and tried, and then they realized were train wrecks. And some, and some of those are so weird too, like obviously people wanted these breakfast sandwiches that are so popular today, but for the early years, like they had this very weird pungent smell in all the Starbucks from like cooking the cheese and the egg and stuff like that in these <laughs> special ovens. So like they had to redevelop all these ovens. But in, anyways, they just went back to what was, uh, you know, they, they got distracted along the way with some of these little things, right? But then they kept going back to like, what what is really what we're trying to do here? Like we're trying to bring fantastic high-end coffee. You know, Italian was where it started from the espresso bars and things to the Americas. I think that's really easy to do when you have some very small level of success, you know, because um, it, it means that you have some kind of traction rather is probably a better term. And when you have that traction, it's easy at that point in time to say, we can do everything now, finally. And I think the, the best example I have of that is like after selling Dialmax, I was like, well, now I don't have to raise money. I have money. I can just start this new company, throw cash at it, and it will just work. Mm -hmm. And that was <laughs> the, <laughs> I mean, I could not have been, I was not more wrong about anything in my entire life since the beginning of time, right? It was like, I lost lots of money, friends, relationships, uh, you know, it, it, it was bad. But it was because that same kind of mindset of like, okay, I finally was waiting on this one piece for the puzzle of my business. And now that I have it, everything's going to be good. And that's just not the way it actually is. Yeah, I had a friend tell me one time, like, Matt, everything you turn you touch turns to gold. And I'm like, you are so wrong. <laughs> like, and yeah. I will never adapt that mindset. Like, <laughs> right on. I failed plenty that's, of times. Yeah. You just don't see it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking about um, the role of the entrepreneur in the business because you're talking about features and and brandon and matt you both have teams of people that you rely upon um to roll those things out uh but you need to be deliberate about what you're going to ask them to do and so being able to sort through what's noise and what is actually going to enhance and help your product or your business pick up traction is so important you are the person that is in charge of the vision yeah. and choosing what things fit into that vision for right now and then into the, the future too. So again, as we talk about competition and looking at how others might distract you, you have a vision for what you want to sell or what you want to build. So if you have a vision for the style of clothes that you want to sell, don't let someone else's success with another style of clothing distract you from what you are trying to do. Or Absolutely. for software, if you want your software to be able to do something just because, how does that help you build your business and deliver on something that your customer actually needs and is willing to yeah. pay you for? Um, so just something for listeners to think about as, as you're navigating through your own growth and launch of yeah, whatever you're building. I think that's easy to do uh, as an entrepreneur because most entrepreneurs fall a little bit more into the visionary category than mm -hmm. the operator. And I just finished this uh, um, this book for the second time, which is an interesting read on Audible, Rocket Fuel, talking about the visionary versus the integrator, mm -hmm. which is basically like the visionary versus what people would consider an operator. Mm -hmm. And I would say across the board, entrepreneurs way overestimate what their teams can accomplish. Mm -hmm. um, and it's not even that, I mean, the team, like it, I know in Matt's case, in my case, and in, in most cases, they would say, oh, my team's superstars, they're all stars, you mm -hmm. know, which I really believe. 
But at the same time, it's like, um, it, it goes back to that original thing of like, you die from indigestion, yeah. not from starvation. Right. You die from like that little bit of traction. You're like, now we, now we can do everything. Instead of focusing on like, why were you successful in the first place? The reason you got traction was because you did this one thing really well. I think if we were to think about uh, companies that we might even look up to in brands, um, you don't think about like uh, a company that does lots and lots of things really well that you're a huge fan of, right? Mm -hmm. No one's like, my favorite company out there is Adobe. You know, because do you know about their, you know, marketing automation software? No, I, I, <laughs> I thought they just made Photoshop and that's it. And they do have all these other, you know, like categories of products that they have. They don't have that same allegiance, I feel like, as brands that are completely dominant in one particular monopoly that do, you know, one particular area that do one thing really well. Mm -hmm. You know, and that's why I, every time I go into a restaurant and uh, you, were, you and I were just talking about this, every time I go into a restaurant and I see a massive menu, I'm like, oh, I know that they just do all these dishes impeccably, right? Yeah. <laughs> these 10 pages of items, right? right? Or do you go into like, you know, uh, a nice restaurant downtown and it's like, these are the four things that you can order, but mm -hmm. these four things are going to be badass, mm -hmm. right? And I think about that in our in my own lifestyle, not only in the complexity of the product, which is really easy to introduce on accident, uh, but also really what the underlying niche that you are serving. And it's so easy to get off in the weeds there, mm -hmm. massively easy. And if you think about the resources it takes to build products, features, to have a team execute on anything, it's a lot of work, effort, and resources, blood, sweat, and tears. And I've also learned that the number one way that I can get someone to quit uh, a company that I'm trying to grow is to have them work on a project and then have that project not see the light of day or mm -hmm. have it not adopted by people. Mm -hmm. Because it's, it's for people that love building things and products, uh, it's the worst thing in the world to see your work never come to light. Right. It's like painting a masterpiece that no one will see. Yeah. Now, like, you did exactly what you were told. You yeah. were just told to do the wrong thing. Yeah, it's right? beautiful. It's awesome. Yes. Worthy of being hung in a museum. We're going to burn it. <laughs> <laughs> I love That's a great analogy yeah. and so true. That is really good. I love that. Yeah, and that just kind of comes back to your strengths and weaknesses again. And You know, while I'm a big proponent of always kind of trying to improve your, your strengths, in that scenario, I'm definitely not. Like, you go all in on your strengths for sure. Yeah. Because that, that's, again, like honing your vision of what, what, you're, what you do and what you do well. And, uh, you know, you don't always want to be the guy – serving macaroni and cheese and spaghetti and meatballs. Like, they're two different things, yeah. right? I want to go on the record and say that I really love a New York diner. And I feel like right you're on. hating on them a little bit right now. <laughs> so if anybody wants to go with no, me for grilled cheese. You know, <laughs> I, I think I've always been more to that selective mindset of, like, you know, the Apple side of things. Like, they gave, they used to have way, way, way less options. Oh, yeah. Now. It was literally, like, three. You had three options for a computer. Mm -hmm. And that was it. Right. And, you know, now there's a multitude of more, but they kept it simple because indecision also becomes a thing for consumers, too. Oh, I mean, yeah. That's so true. We but trying to serve, you can't serve all people. And so in design, we were taught to serve the 95th percentile. And so to do what we, whatever we were doing should serve the 95th percentile of our customer base we're trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. And I, I think that, that it's really easy to try to gain that extra 5%. Like you said, when you see things are going well and you're like, we can do anything. Um, but, man, going after that 5% is a bad idea. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It just is. Mm -hmm. Well, one of, the, one of the books I just finished, Crossing the Chasm, which is a really good book from uh, adoption of technology and how people are like the different segments of people. You have early adopters who are super excited to try stuff out. They're like who your beta customer is, right? They're okay to just deal with crap. Uh, and then on the complete opposite, other side of the spectrum, you have the laggers, which even – when it's mainstream in terms of technology or a particular product, they're still skeptical about using it. And then kind of in the middle, you have the pragmatists that will only adopt it whenever, you know, you kind of have that early adopter segment that's completely, you know, 100% in it and ready. And what I really learned through that was the whole idea was that uh, you can never get a niche too small. I think that that's a blanket statement. It's not always true. 
but most of the time it is. Most of the time people err on the other side, which mm -hmm. is they're going after way too big of a market when they really need to go after a niche. And, and now I'm kind of like a third round on this with Comet Sold where it has worked for me in the past, you know, so I can have a little more validity to what I'm saying, but mm -hmm. uh, really starting with and dominating a niche, like in our case, the clothing boutique kind of industry uh, for really it's just clothing of people selling on Facebook, which you think like, well, how many people are there out there? You know, well, like there's a good bit, mm -hmm. you know, and, and once you get to that point, it's much easier to cross into a different vertical and continue to try to grow that domination is than there than it is to start with like, we're going to create Shopify, for example, right? We're going to create a platform where anybody can sign up and start selling stuff mm -hmm. on a website. Mm -hmm. Shopify themselves started in that, you know, vertical with snowboards and like outdoor gear. So I find it fascinating that, and like those retailers, I, I find it fascinating. Um, what I try to do is always like, skinny that niche up as much as I can mm -hmm. you know because people might think that like well how many people are there out there and that goes back to the just underestimating the size of the world that we live in uh, in the United States that we live in Alabama Huntsville that we live in it is massive it really is and if you don't think so just like go to Whole Foods and just wait until you see somebody that you actually know and just see how many days you were there before you see someone and not Whole Foods I mean like because you know Tony will probably see someone that she knows there uh, she's like oh yes yeah, my next door neighbor for sure uh, but okay Whole Foods. Foods on the other side of town uh, so I, I always find that fascinating and people, I think that's the number one question I get. No, well, the top two for common sold is like, uh, what are you gonna do when Facebook changes? Right. And it's like, have you guys not thought about it? I think about it every day and I think about it before I go to sleep every night. Uh, and we're launching all these apps. We're doing, we have a good strategy for it. I feel like, um, but that, that's an obvious one. Right. And the, but the second one is like, well, what do you think about, you know, only doing these kind of like, uh, you know, clothing boutiques and kind of like home decor, um, when are you going to expand on it? I'm like, hopefully never, you know, like mm -hmm. there's still a lot of room to grow. And it just seems like you just think, how many people do I know that sell home decor on Facebook? Seems like an insanely small number. And to our worlds, it probably is just one or zero people. But there's a massive amount of people that do. Uh, so I think that that's that's like my number one kind of key takeaway whenever I'm looking at trying to start or grow something is like just keep growing into that niche, mm -hmm. you know, and because it's much easier to be a dominating person in that niche than it is to take over uh, something bigger. And if you look back in like the life cycle, a lot of these companies, no one started by taking over the niche uh, or no one started by taking over the mass market. They started by taking over the niche and growing into the mass market. Mm -hmm. That's a great point. Yeah, gosh, for sure. I think too, I just can't help but think about like the competitors aspect of it too, where, um, folks may view you as a competitor solely for the fact that they don't actually understand what you're doing, which like could that. prevent them from sharing best practices that having you know about doesn't necessarily cannibalize them. It's just they don't understand it. So if you can be very concise about, here's what I do, and there's probably gonna be very few other people, if any, that are doing exactly what it is you're doing. Right. Um, yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. And, uh, you know, but so when I first moved into the Madison space and opened up that store, there was already a nutrition store in that same complex. But he sells to the natural foods, natural vitamins side of things, mm. organic market mm -hmm. that we do not cater mm -hmm. to as much as we do sports nutrition. Mm -hmm. So I had a prior meeting with him beforehand so that we could be allowed to go into that space and said, hey, man, we're in two different lanes here. Like, 
you do this and you do it really well. So I'm not the very small amount that we do of that. I'm not even going to do in this location yeah. because you're right here already. And I would rather just focus on what we do as our majority and best. And he was like, absolutely cool. Welcome to the community. And now you guys probably have a relationship where if he'll send you somebody if he doesn't sell it and vice versa. Absolutely. Kind of yeah, awesome. we, we, we certainly do. So, guys, we're going to kind of wrap it up for today. Uh, Brandon, thank you again so much for being here, man. Of it's course. It's always just an incredible time just to listen to you, you Thanks, know, kind of spill out all the knowledge in your brain. I don't know about that. But I'm happy to hover down here anytime you guys need me. Yeah, yes. we'll, we'll definitely be having we'll you guys. Only a mile hover away. Yeah. Not bad. <laughs> just and literally hoverboard. Literally yeah, on a hoverboard right now. They yeah. are everywhere at Huntsville West. Yeah, there's a, a big happening. liability concern that's growing, but I don't care. So, we, okay. Before we wrap it up, we did discover this new sport that's coming to Huntsville West. It's actually been beta tested this weekend. It's called chair hoverboard racing. And basically you get in an office chair. What? And the thing is to get the right leverage, you have to go backwards. So you get in an office chair and then you have the hoverboard at your feet and you start hoverboarding backwards. The thing is the hoverboard tries to correct itself because it tries to balance and it just like propels you at top speed backwards down the hallway oh my gosh can i please try this when we wrap up in here yes absolutely it's a blast oh it my gosh so we know if you're listening to this at work working away for somebody else that your employer is not going to let you do chair hoverboard racing start with a hoverboard first get them comfortable with that okay start with the niche then go into the mass market. and then never tell your insurance company because your liability will shoot through the roof yeah no they told us that they're like oh you have a company here that uh, has a manufacturing place off-site, yeah, that's that's going to void your insurance. So if that does, then the hoverboard racing definitely does. But show. who cares? Okay, sounds like fun though, guys. Thanks again. It's Matt McClellan here, Tony Eberhardt, and Brandon Cruz. We'll tune in next time. Thanks, for Bye. Having me. Bye, guys. See you guys.